All right, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you guys, but I've just learned a whole lot in this series as I've prepared these messages. And, and I hope you've learned a lot of things maybe about the Holy Spirit you didn't realize. And um, go back and do just a quick review, guys, if you'll put that first slide up there. In the first sermon, we just talked about the overall essential ministries of the Holy Spirit. Then we kind of camped out in the book of Galatians. And uh, we talked about the challenge where Paul came to the church at Galatia, and he said, hey man, you guys started out depending on the Spirit. He said, but you've drifted away and you're beginning to, to depend more on yourself, more on your flesh. And he said, I challenge you to come back to a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Come back to that. And that challenge is not only for the church at Galatia this morning, but that challenges for the church at Princeton this morning and the church at Goldsboro called The Bridge. God is calling this church, this pastor, this staff, this deacon board, this ministry director team, this team of volunteers and servants, the owners of this church, those who attend this church, hear me. God is calling us through these messages and by the voice of his Holy Spirit in the songs we sing, in the dramas, in the creative arts, in the videos, God is calling this church to a deeper dependence on him and less of a dependence on yourself. And the people said, amen. At a great time Wednesday night, I went back to where the Teenagers were having uh, camp, Code Red Youth Camp. Can, I, can we just give it up for Pastor Josh and Code Red Youth Camp? And I got to preach to the kids. It was just awesome, man. It was a great atmosphere. And you talk about a worship team. They got a worship team back there that's just out of sight. And uh, it's just so exciting to see what God's doing and how these worship leaders are just coming up in our church. And we're never going to be without awesome worship leaders uh, because we see God just doing so much in our kids, our, our youth. And uh, we just got, are so blessed with talent. And I just love how the youth worshiped on Wednesday night. And then I preached a message. And, and I talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit and what that means challenge them to come and seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God put a phrase in my mind. It's not anything new, but on Wednesday night, God put this little phrase in my mind, and I want to proclaim it here tonight, and I want to, or today, and I want you guys to begin to pray this in your prayer life. Add this to your prayer life. More of you, Lord, and less of me. More of you, Lord, and less of me. How about that as a prayer? Can we all say that together? More of you, Lord, and less of me. More of you, Lord, and less of me. That's what the infilling of the Holy Spirit is. That's what it means to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. More of God in your life. More of God working through your life. More of the Holy Spirit controlling your life. That's what Paul was saying in the challenge. He was saying, guys, you started out right. You started out on the right path. You were depending on the Holy Spirit to save you from your sins. But then you drifted back into Judaism. And so he challenged them to come back. And then there was the commandment in Galatians 5.16. Really, the commandment was instructions on how to, how to live successfully as a Christian, how to depend on the Holy Spirit. He said, here's how you do it, guys. You walk in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit. And that denotes a daily determination, a daily getting up and making a proclamation. I'm not going to worry about yesterday because it's gone. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because it isn't here yet. Today, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. If the Lord will help me, if my Christian friends will help me, if they'll hold me accountable and I hold them accountable, I'm going to walk in the Spirit today. So if you've been walking around the church and you've seen this black t-shirt with big white letters that says W-I-T-S, that's our t-shirt for this series, Walk in the Spirit. And so guys, uh, he challenges them to do that. And we talked about that uh, in great detail. And Paul said, if you'll walk in the Spirit, 
there's a good result of that, you won't fulfill the lustful desires of your flesh. Because that's when we get in trouble, isn't it? That's when we get ourselves in a mess. When we stop doing things that please God and we start doing things that please our own lustful desires. And then he moved on to the conflict. In uh, chapter 5 and verse 17 of Galatians, he said, guys, you need to understand that once you decide to walk in the Spirit, you're going to have two very powerful forces living in you. Number one, you're going to have the flesh. It's still going to be there, even though you've surrendered your life to Christ, even though you are being sanctified, even though you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you're going to still have the flesh with you, and the spirit that is in you as a Christian is going to war with the human part of you. There's going to be a conflict and a battle going on in there. And then he talked about the contrast, and we concluded that last week. He gave us two lists, the works of the flesh. You remember that sermon? That was an exciting Sunday, wasn't it? As we went through about 19 different sins and defined them. I could tell you all were just really excited about that sermon. And we talked about what would happen. We talked about our potential for evil if our, if our flesh was not restrained by the Holy Spirit. And that ought to be a part of your prayer life too. Lord, restrain. Restrain the lustful desires that are in me. And you might be out there today saying, I don't have those in me. Yes, you do. We all have them in us, and we will until we get to heaven. But it is the Holy Spirit in you as you receive Christ, as you receive his sanctifying work, as you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in you, the Spirit of God in you, that will restrain the lustful desires of your flesh. That is a work of sanctification. So we talked about the works of the flesh, and then last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about the kind of person God wants us to be. Notice it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit. Because the indication there, the implication there, by it not saying fruits of the Spirit, and it says fruit, is that God wants you to have all nine of these in your life. He wants you to have all nine of these characteristics working through your life, okay? So what's the bottom line? What are we, what are we saying in this sermon series? We're saying that you as a Christian, that God has called upon you to live your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, God is calling you to live your life daily in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the only way you can live victoriously. It is the only way you can live successfully as a Christian, Paul warned them in the challenge. He said, guys, I'm telling you, if you get away from a dependence on the Holy Spirit, you cannot live the Christian life successfully. So God's calling me back to a dependence on the Holy Spirit. God's calling you back to a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because if we decide to kind of get our little ticket to heaven, you know, we're saved, we're Christians, Jesus has come in our heart, but we're gonna kind of live our life the way we did before we were saved, and by that I mean we make decisions the same way we always did. We, we're not developing our prayer life. We're not developing our time in the scriptures. We're not developing our service life as we serve others and bless others. Um, then you're going to struggle in your victory as a Christian. Now, now let me just remind you of something. The Bible calls you as a Christian a a conqueror. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls you what? More, more than a conqueror. This means that God fights your battles for you and proclaims you the victor. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great love right there? And God calls us, he, he says not only are you more than a conqueror, he also calls you an overcomer. He also talks about in John 10, 10, the abundant life, the victorious life, the fruitful, powerful Christian life. And he's talking about how you can live down here. A lot of people think they got to wait till they get to heaven to have victory, to have success as a Christian, to have conquest. But I'm telling you, God has promised you victory down here in this life. So let's talk about that a little bit this morning as we come to the final point that we're going to make from the book of Galatians. <coughs> Excuse me. And we go to uh, Galatians 5, 
verses 24 and 25, and we're going to look at what we're going to call the conquest. We've looked at the challenge, the commandment, the conflict, and the contrast. Now let's conclude our study in Galatians with the conquest. How many people here this morning? Guys, can you give me a little bit more house lights? I can't see anybody. I like to, I like to look in their eyes. Just a little bit more house lights. Oh, that's great. Excellent. I see y'all now. Y'all don't look as holy as I thought you did. <laughs> so uh, how many of you want to live a life of victory, a life of conquest? Uh, I, I'm just kind of tired uh, of uh, getting knocked down all the time and having to get back up, aren't you? I heard a, I heard a uh, illustration about a football coach, um, uh, Alabama uh, football coach. You, know, you remember who that was, don't you? A long time ago, wore that hat. What was his name? Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant. And Bear Bryant had this guy that was a really good college player. His name was Mike. And Mike left Alabama and went and played for uh, the Miami Dolphins for a while. And when he finished his career uh, with the Miami Dolphins, Bear Bryant called him and said, Hey, Mike. He said, hey, listen, man, I heard you left the Dolphins. He said, I want you to come work for me as a, as a scout. He said, I want you to go to these high school games. I want you to find the best players you can find. And Mike said, man, coach, I'd be honored to do that. He said, now, now Mike, let me tell you the kind of guy we're looking for. He said, uh, he said, you know that guy that plays football and he gets knocked down and he stays down? Mike said, we don't want him, do we, coach? He said, no, sir, we don't want him. He said, uh, he said, now, Mike, there's another guy that you knock him down and he gets up. And you knock him down and he gets up. And you knock him down and he gets up. And you knock him down and he gets up. He said, Coach, that's the guy we want, isn't it? He said, no, I want you to find that guy who's knocking everybody down. That's the guy we want for the Crimson Tide right there. Amen? I'm tired of getting knocked down and having to get back up. I believe that it is possible for us to live with far more victory as a Christian than many of us are living. And I'll, if you believe, maybe you're not living there, but you believe that, will you just say amen right there? Amen, amen. amen. So uh, let's look at these uh, verses here. And I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can. I don't have uh, as much time as I do uh, on uh, uh Thursday and Saturday night, and uh, you guys better be glad. Okay, here we go. Galatians 5, 24, and those who, look at that underline, are Christ's. That means those who belong to Christ. Those who are his. That means those who have accepted him into their heart. Those who are born again. Those who are saved. Those who have received Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You say, well, what's the difference in living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit? Well, when he says living in the Spirit there, he means that before a person is saved, they're really dead. The Bible says before you came to Jesus, you were what in your trespasses and sins? You were dead. Hard to say, isn't it? We don't like to talk about death. And we don't like to say that we were dead, but you were. If you're here today, and I don't mean to be offensive, but I'm just preaching the truth of God's word. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're running from him, uh, if you're offering up excuses like there are hypocrites in the church, and that's why I'm not a Christian, and blah, 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 we've heard it all. Uh, we just want to tell you today that until you receive Christ spiritually, there's no life in you. But the Bible says when you receive Christ, and I love this King James word, it says you are quickened. You are regenerated. You are given life. And so he says you live, and when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, that's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, we live because the Holy Spirit introduced us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicted us of our sins. The Holy Spirit revealed to us who Jesus was. And then when we believed upon Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is beautiful. It was the Holy Spirit who took us out of the world and placed us in the body of Christ. He took us out of the world and placed us in the body of Christ. So we live because of the Spirit. We live because of the work of the Spirit in us. 
And then he says, if you are born again, if you're saved, if you live in the Spirit, then what you have to do now is walk in the Spirit. What he's basically saying there is what got you saved is what will keep you growing. What got you to Christ is what will keep you developing. In the book of Revelation, it talks about doing our first works over. So your faith, your trust, your confidence in God when you came to Jesus, you are to allow him by his spirit to develop that and make that stronger in you every single day. Now notice he talks here about the crucifixion of the flesh. And he talks about it in the sense of not something that's going to happen in the future, but something that is past history. It's already done. I want you to hear me. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead... I want you to understand that your flesh, that it was made available to you that your flesh, your sinful desires, your lustful desires be crucified. And the Bible here says if you are Christ, if you have come to Christ, Jesus has come into you, then your lustful desires are crucified. Now you're out there saying, hmm, I don't think mine's crucified because I was battling with mine yesterday. As a matter of fact, Pastor, I got up this morning, and on the way to church, my wife didn't act just right. <laughs> and I battled with my flesh just a little bit this morning before I got to church, and the people said amen. How many of you know that the enemy will work on you from the time you get up on Sunday morning till you get here on Sunday morning? And he will work on you sometimes after you get here. Because I've seen your countenance, some of you, on Sunday morning. And you're in church, but you ain't in Jesus yet. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, you say, well, pastor, it says there my, my flesh ought to be crucified. As a matter of fact, it is crucified. At the moment of your salvation, at the moment you decided to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, at the moment, <laughs> excuse me, at the moment you were adopted into God's family, in that very moment, you were possessed. We talk about possession. When we talk about being possessed by something, we're usually talking about not Jesus, but the devil. We usually talk about demon possession, devil possession. Well, when you are saved, Jesus comes into you, and you are possessed by him. Anybody happy about that? You are owned by Jesus. You are, look at that underlined part, you are Christ's. You belong to him. So when you do that, available to you is the power of his death on the cross, what was accomplished there. Available to you is the power of his resurrection so that your sinful desires, we're talking about sanctification here. We're listen to me. We're talking about the purification of somebody who is a believer. You're already a believer but you're becoming more like Jesus with each passing day if you are progressing forward as God wants you to. Now, you belong to Christ. Now, you might be here today and say, I don't belong to any church. I don't belong to Jesus. I don't belong to God. I don't belong to anybody. I'm my own man. I'm my own. I'll decide if I'm going to commit to something. I don't belong to anybody. Well, that sounds big and bad. It just ain't true. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. 19 and 20. Look at what it says. Paul says, it's rhetorical. Paul knows the answer and he knows the people should know the answer. He says, do you not know that your body was designed? Do you not know that your body was made by God for one purpose? And that is to house the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? Let me tell you something. I don't you say, well, I don't even know if I believe. I don't know if I believe the Bible. Somebody just, you know, worried the daylights out of me, and I finally came to church, said it'll get off my back, and that's the only reason I'm here today. I hear you. I hear you, man. But I want to tell you something. You were designed to be a temple of God. God look, go back to Genesis. Read the, the creation story. And what God actually did there is just create this perfect environment. Before he ever made us. Before he ever made a man. Because see, man was God's most precious creation. Man was God's most precious, um, uh, uh, the, th the most precious thing he made in that whole process of creation. And he created a perfect environment. And then he said, now 
I'm going to make a creature that is above all other creatures on the earth because this creature will love me. This creature will worship me. I'm going to live inside this, this creature called uh, a human being. I'm going to live inside him. I'm going to live inside her. And they're just going to love on me. And they're going to commune with me. And I'm going to commune with them. And it's just going to be wonderful. And I'm going to give them this perfect environment. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any need for makeup because they'd just be pretty all the time. Amen. And you won't ever age. Wouldn't you love to just wouldn't you just love to lay hands suddenly on Adam and Eve, how they messed everything up? And, um, and God said, I'm going to make it like that. And so he did. And the Bible says that he, he lived inside Adam and Eve. And, and if you'll read your Bible carefully, it says in the cool of the day that they walk with the Lord. Isn't that something? And they just talked to God and God talked to them. And then what entered in? Sin. Sin entered in. And sin always separates God and man, always. If you commit a sin today, it's going to bring separation between you and God. So you've got to bring that sin to God and get that thing dealt with in your life immediately. Don't let it take root. Amen, amen? You've got to bring it to God. Drop your pride and repent of that. So he says, don't you know? Don't you know that your body was designed by God in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3? To be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? God the Father, God the Son, God the... So the Holy Spirit is God. The temple of the Holy Spirit, who is where? In, are y'all with me today? Because I'm going to tell you something. When I ask you to read the next line and you don't, my sermon just goes on and on and on. But if you will help me, then it gets shorter and shorter. So, so let's try that again. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is? See, y'all ready to go home, aren't you? I can tell. All right. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are? You're not your own. You're out there. I know how pride goes. I know how it goes. I know how this whole world system works. Tell me I'm not my own. I'm my own. I'm my own man. I made myself what I am. Let me tell you something. That muscle in the middle of your chest called the heart, it beats by the grace of God. It beats by the grace of God. You don't make your heart beat. God makes your heart beat. Hey, when you go, that's by the grace of God. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Listen, he owns you. You are owned by him. And how, how, why are you owned by him? Look at verse 20. For you were what? Bought at a price. Boy, what a price that was. Amen. The cross, the old rugged cross. Therefore, since, you were, since you're owned by God and since he paid for you with his own life, therefore you ought to what? Glorify God in your, and in your, which are? You don't own yourself. God owns you. You say, well, I, I, I'm not ready to give myself to him. That's all right. He'll wait patiently for you. He'll wait patiently for you. But you better come. Come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. As a follower, and disciple of Jesus, as someone who's experienced the new birth, you say, where's that talked about in the Bible? John chapter 3. I'd encourage you to just do that study on your own. Your flesh is crucified. You say, Pastor, I'm telling you, my flesh is not crucified. I battled my flesh this morning. I battled my flesh yesterday. I mean, Pastor, you've been preaching to us the whole time that the flesh is always going to be with us till we get to heaven. So let me tell you what that means when it says that our flesh is crucified with all its passions and desires. Here's what it means. It means that sin is no longer Lord of your life. Sin is no longer Lord of your life. Jesus is now Lord of your life. And your flesh has been subdued because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So sin no longer is the Lord of your life. Um, the crucifixion of your flesh means that the lordship of your carnal desires 
The lordship of your evil desires was broken at the moment of salvation. And there is a work that goes on in you. I'm doing some teaching now. I hope you get this. Because i got to tell you, man, this is what I'm teaching right now is at the root of a lot of the struggles and problems you're having in your everyday life. Because we're allowing God to save us, many of us, get our little ticket to heaven. But we're not allowing God to sanctify us. We're not allowing God to grow us. We're not allowing God to make us stronger. We're not disciplining ourselves to do the things that make us grow and get our roots down. And so I'm challenging you today to understand that this work of sanctification, yes, it happens in you, but then it grows and it develops in you and you are and and it means that sin, your flesh, your carnal desires no longer reigns in your life. Y'all with me on this? You, you know, before you knew Jesus, your flesh was the ruler. But after you come to Jesus, old things are, all things become new. And that, that is not something that's going to come. That is something that happens the moment you come to Christ. Now, as you grow and develop, it becomes even stronger and stronger and stronger in your life. And over a period of time, uh, you will look back on your life and say, you know, I used to be tempted to do some things back there that I'm not tempted to do anymore. And the people said, amen. But new levels, new, you're going to get new temptations. You're going to be tempted to do things as a mature Christian that you're not even tempted to do right now. So always there's going to be the temptation of your flesh and the enemy trying to pull you back. So as a Christian, you are to be dominated by the Spirit. Can we just say a little prayer together? Can we just say this prayer? Dear God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will dominate, reign over my life. See, at the beginning of the sermon bumper to talk about this sermon series, there's a prayer. It says, it says Dear God, I want you to have control. I want the Holy Spirit to have control. That's what we're talking about. God, more of you, less of me. That is a daily prayer. That is not, and don't just repeat it. It's not abracadabra, hocus pocus. It's a prayer. More of you in my life today, God. More of you in my life, less of me, less of me. I'll tell you something. You'll be doing yourself a great favor if you make that a prayer and a practice in your life every day. More of you, God, less of me. Verse 25 says, so that we now live. That means we're saved, regenerated by the Spirit. Let us also walk. That means daily get up, daily rise up, and then moment by moment through the day, more of you, Jesus. More of you, Holy Spirit, less of me. More of you, less of me. So if we have our life in God, we've been saved, born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Then what we do after we get saved, listen, is we move forward every day with our conduct controlled by the Holy Spirit. See, our conduct after we get saved is to no longer be controlled by our flesh. Before we knew Jesus, our conduct was controlled by our flesh. But after we come to Jesus, our conduct is not to be controlled by our flesh anymore. Our conduct is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was reading in Galatians 5 and those last few verses, I, I like to always go over to the message. The, uh, the message is a paraphrase of the Bible. And I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism about the message. But the message doesn't claim to be a translation of the oris original language. The message is really just a commentary on the scriptures. And, and so the message is a great tool for me personally when I'm studying the Bible. And I love the way the message puts this in Galatians 5, those last few verses there, uh, you know, 24 and 25. He says, he says, since you have chosen to live your life for the glory of God. And that's what you do when you're saved. When you get saved, you decide, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. He said, and since you have chosen to live your life now as a Christian dependent on the Holy Spirit, he said, let's make sure that we do not just hold this new lifestyle, our born-again life, our Christian life, as an idea in our head. 
And let us not hold the Christian life as simply a sentimental feeling in our heart because a lot of people in church do that. They got a head knowledge of God, but they don't have a heart knowledge. And then some people base their whole walk with God on emotion and feeling. So if they're going through a bad day, they just think God's left them. You know, God's left me. I don't know where God is. So both of those are very childish and very immature. So he says, don't let that happen. He said, what you want to do, and I love this, he says, you are to now work out the implications of the Christian life in your everyday details of life. He said, you, you get up every morning and you go, okay, here's my schedule. And here's what I've got to do, and here's what my family needs to, me to do, and here's what my church is depending on me to do. But above all that, what does God want? And God, I want you today, as I go through my day, the things I know I'm going to do today, and then there's going to be things that are <laughs> going to come into my life today that I don't know about. Amen, amen to that. There's going to be stuff that comes into my life today I don't know about. You know, somebody's going to try to run me off the road, or my car is going to break down, and God, I just pray that through the day, no matter what comes, if some, somebody acts like a jerk on my job to me today or somebody in my family hurts my feelings today or some friend or even my spouse or one of my children or whatever comes, help me to walk in the Spirit. Help me to respond like a person who is dominated by the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? This is how we're to live our lives. He says, every day, help me to work out the implications of the Christian life in every detail of my life. And then he goes on. He says, this means that we don't compare ourselves to other people as if one of us were better or worse. Don't we do that all the time in the church? You know, when we, when we fall and stumble and somebody holds us accountable, we go, well, I'll tell you what, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than she is. See, you don't, you don't do that. The Bible says it right here. You, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus because you'll never be able to say, well, I'm better than he is. See, you're always, if Jesus is your example, if Jesus and the life of Jesus is your goal, then you'll always be saying, I need to grow. I need to be better. I need to be more what he wants me to be. So he says, don't compare yourself with other people. He says, we've got far more important things to do. Each one of us is an original. Aren't you glad God's not a cookie-cutter Christian? God doesn't make cookie-cutter Christians. Aren't you glad Christians come in all sizes and shapes and forms? I, I ran into a guy the other day who was a motorcycle, uh, um, came out of a motorcycle gang, and he got saved. And, and that's the only life he ever knew, so he kind of has, still has his motorcycle gang look. You know, he's bald on top but he's got long hair. I call that a skullet. That's a skullet right there. And uh, amen. And uh, I'm thinking about getting me one of those. I'm working on it. And, um, and then he'll braid his hair, you know, let it come down his back. And he'll braid it. And, and, and he loves Jesus as much as that guy over there in that three-piece suit and, and uh, real short hair. He loves Jesus just as much as he does. Come on, church. Amen. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Our God, amen. Let's give God. We're not, you know, God's not a cookie cutter. Matter of fact, I tell you about God. When God thinks, when you think you got God in a box, you got God figured out, he will mess you up. He'll just do something to mess you up and, and you'll go, man, that's God too. Really? That's God? Yeah, that's God too. And so uh, he says each of us is an original. I love that in the message. As Christians, we are to no longer live by the flesh. We're now to live by the Spirit. We're to be dominated by the Spirit. Now, here's how I want to close this sermon today. I want us to go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to walk through 17 verses. Now, don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. But this, this scripture in Romans uh, uh, chapter uh, 8 and verses 1 through 17, this, this passage talks about being ruled by the Spirit and not being ruled by the flesh. Y'all ready to walk through this? Just walk through it and let's learn something today, okay? All right, verse 1, verse 1. So now, those who are in Christ are not judged guilty. That means when you come to Jesus, he proclaims you not guilty. Now, now, now let me just preach right here on that a little bit. See, some of you think that the way you're going to get into heaven is God's going to put your bad stuff 
on one side of the scale and then he's going to put your good stuff on the other side of the scale. And if your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff, you get to go to heaven. You better hope that isn't how it happens. Because y'all ain't going to make it. I know you. I know every one of you. You're not going to make it. God doesn't look at what you did good and did bad. When you come to him and trust him for salvation, listen to me, he declares you not guilty. Not guilty. You say, but I am guilty. But you have to understand that's where the cross comes in. Jesus paid for your sins. And if you receive the work of the cross and you receive the payment Jesus made for your sins and you receive that he rose from the dead and then you receive Christ, the risen Savior, into your heart, you are proclaimed justified. Look at that first verse. So now those who are where? In Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. There's a word for that, justification. That's a doctrinal word. You are justified. Look at verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that brings life made you free from the law. In other words, you don't come to Jesus by obeying the do's and not obeying the don't. Well, let me say that different. You don't, you don't get yourself right with God by doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts. He says you are free from the law. Now, that doesn't mean we don't obey the law. That doesn't mean the law, and the, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the scriptures. It doesn't mean we don't obey the law. Uh, what it means is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the one who wrote the law, is now in us, and so we no longer have this outward pressure of the law trying to make us do good. Now we have the Holy Spirit in us motivating us to do good. Y'all with me? We've said that a lot of times. <laughs> I want you to get that. And I'm, I apologize for this um, little allergy I've got. I'm allergic to you people. Uh, verse 3, the law was without power because all the law did was pressure you. Because the law was made weak by our sinful selves. We kept failing. We kept failing. The law said you got to do this. We couldn't do it. The law said you don't do this and we'd do it. But God did what the law could not do. What was that? God sent his own son to earth with the same human life that others use for sin. By sending his son to be an offering for sin, God used a human life to destroy sin. The human life of Jesus. Look at verse 4. He did this so that we could be the kind of people the law correctly wants us to be. So it is Jesus in you that gives you the strength to be obedient to God. Too many people get up every morning and they want to read all, you know, they want to try to remember all the do's and God said to do and all the don'ts God said not to do. And they want to kind of just bite on a piece of leather, you know, and say, God, I'm going to try, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to try my best to do the do's and not do the don'ts. Let me tell you what you do. You get up every morning and yield to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. More of you, God, less of me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, dominate me. Holy Spirit, immerse me. Holy Spirit, empower me. And the motivation to do good will not be an outside pressure saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. But there will be an inward desire because God is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, to do right and not do wrong. Then if you do wrong because the flesh is still in us, he blows the whistle on you and you recognize it immediately. Amen, amen? Okay? So he says in verse 4, let's read it again. He did this so that we could be the kind of people the law correctly wants us to be. Now we do not live following our sinful selves. Now we do not live following our sinful selves because now Jesus is in us. So now we live following what? The Spirit. Now look at verse 5. Those who live following their sinful selves think only about that only about things that their sinful selves want. Isn't that true? If you follow the passions and desires of your heart, then you're going to try to satisfy yourself. But those who live following the Spirit 
are thinking about the things the Spirit wants them to do. That's that daily walk that I've been talking to you guys about. See, so look at verse 5 real close. That's a prayer for you right there. Father, today, I just ask you to help me not do what my flesh wants to do, but help me today to follow your Spirit. Help me to hear your Spirit. Help me to sense your Holy Spirit. I want your Holy Spirit to be louder, the voice of the Holy Spirit to be louder in my life than the voice of the flesh. I want to follow your Spirit. I surrender my mind. I surrender my body. I surrender my, my, my soul. I surrender my spirit. I surrender all there is of me to the Holy Spirit today. And listen, you're still going to mess up. But you will be making progress as a Christian. That's what the whole thing is. It's all about making progress every day. Look at verse 6. If people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is what? But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, what is the result? Cut me a big old slice of that, amen? Cut me a big old slice of life and peace. No death, thank you. Look at verse 7. It's talking about unsaved people here in verse 7. When people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, they are because they refuse to obey God's law. And really, look at what the writer says here. Really, they're not even able to obey God's law. Why? Because the Spirit isn't in them. The Spirit isn't in them. Look at verse 8. But those who are, uh, well, not but, but it goes on to talk about the same person. Those people who are Ruled by, that means dominated by, lorded over by their sinful selves, cannot what? Please God. Going down to verse 9. But you who are true Christians are not ruled by your sinful selves. Those of you who have received Jesus Christ, you're not to be ruled by your sinful selves. Now your, your sinful self may poke his head up once in a while and make you do something you wish you hadn't done, but you're, do you understand the difference? You're not dominated by that. You're not ruled by that. This is very important because this is where the teaching has broken down in many churches. Pastors have taken this passage and they've made people think that when you mess up, when you stumble, you fall. Oh, my, oh, 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 it's over, it's over. I don't know if you can even come. I mean, they just preach it in a way that you've got to be perfect, but that isn't what it's teaching here. It says if you are a true, true Christian, you, your sinful self might poke his head up once in a while and make you do something you regret that you've got to repent of, but you're not ruled by him. You were ruled by that when you were unsaved. You're not ruled by that now that you're saved. Is this making sense? You, true Christians, are ruled by the what? Spirit, but there's a big little word right after that. If. Now that's a little two-letter word but that is a big word because it sets a condition. It sets a condition. It says you are ruled by the Spirit if that Spirit of God really lives in you. He's talking about genuine Christianity, genuinely giving your life to Jesus. But the person who does not have the Spirit of Christ, what? Doesn't belong to Christ. We read that earlier in our, in our teaching. That means the person who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ in them through the new birth, that, that they're trying to, if, if they're in church and, or, or they're just walking through life and they're trying to live right and do the right things, they don't even have the ability. They don't even have the ability to do it because the Spirit of God is not in them. Do you understand? You don't have the ability to live the Christian life. You don't have it. You can't live it. That's why we're so dependent upon the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we cannot do apart from Him. Such important preaching. Verse 10. Your body will always be dead because of sin. That means this body, flesh, fingernails, hair, organs, ears, eyes, the body. Uh, he says you're going to shed this body. It's going to be gone. When we die, our soul, our mind, and our spirit will live on, but our body will die. 
But if Christ is in you, then the Spirit gives you life. Now, when you study that word life right there, it's eternal life. It's supernatural life because Christ made you what? That's that justification. You don't make yourself right with God. Christ makes you right with God. Christ justifies you. You can't justify yourself. You can't save yourself. Christ justifies you. Verse 11. God raised Jesus from the dead, and the people said, And if God's Spirit is living in you, he will also give life to your bodies that die. Now listen, this even tells us that this old fleshly body, that God will give strength to this old body, even though we're going to leave it behind when we die, he'll give you strength in this body while you're on the earth to do the things he's called you to do. God is the one who raised Christ from the dead, and he will give life through his spirit that lives in you. Look at verse 12. So, brothers and sisters. So, he's saying brothers and sisters. So that lets us know he's talking to who? Saints. He's talking to Christians. Very good. He's talking to the church here. He says, so church, we must not be ruled by. It doesn't say you can never sin or you won't be a child of God. He says, no, no, no. You must not be dominated by your flesh any longer. You must not be ruled by your flesh any longer. Uh, uh, you must not be ruled by, dominated by your sinful selves or live the way our sinful selves want to live. Very, very crucial verse right there. Verse 13. Y'all with me out there? Say amen. amen. If you use your lives to do the wrong things that your sinful self wants, you will, mm, hard to say, isn't it? You will die spiritually. It means you're not even saved. If you, but if you use the Spirit's help to stop doing the wrong things you do with your body, you have, you will have true life. In other words, you are a, a true follower of Jesus. Matter of fact, in verse 14, he uses that very terminology. Look at it. The true children of God. The true children of God. Now, why would God say the true children of God? Because there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, but they've never bowed before Jesus. When you're, when you're hearing statistics on the news, you know, uh, this percentage of the world is Muslim, this percentage of the world is Hindu, this percentage of the world is Christian, and they'll say something like 60% of the world is Christian. Well, they might be following some Christian system of belief, but they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus. It's a big difference. He said the, the, the true children of God are those who let, those who allow God's Spirit to what? Lead them. The Spirit we received from Jesus does not make us slaves again to fear. It makes us what? Children of God where we cry out from within us. From within us, the Spirit cries out to God, Abba, Father, we're his kids. We're adopted. The Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit takes you out of the world and puts you in the body of Christ on the day you become a Christian, on the day you stop running from God, on the day you say, I can't do this. I want Jesus in my life. Look at verse uh, 16. And the Spirit, that's a capital S, isn't it? And the Spirit himself joins with our what? And that's a little s. So the Holy Spirit joins with our spirits. Y'all with me on that? We're a triune, we're triune, body, body, will, mind, soul, where our intellect is, where our, our desires are, where our decision process, that's in our mind. And then we have a part of us, the third part is the spirit. And when you're saved, Jesus comes into the spirit comes into the spirit part of you. That's what he's talking about right there. And the spirit himself joins with our spirits. I like to put it this way. There's a little throne inside of you and it belongs to God. Now you may have some other things sitting on that throne this morning, but what you need to do before you leave church today is dethrone that stuff and let Jesus take his rightful place on the throne of your heart. He said, and the spirit himself joins with our spirits to confirm, to say, we are what? God's children. 
You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. And a lot of you um, stumble and fall. And the first thing that happens when you stumble and fall spiritually is the enemy comes and goes, you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian. And he just keeps you doubting your walk with God all the time because you think somebody told you you had to live this thing perfect. And if you mess up, it means you're not a Christian. Um, that is bull If we are God's children, y'all with me in verse 17? If we are God's children, we will receive blessings from God together with Christ. Isn't that awesome? If you're, if you're a child of God, then, then the Father God is your dad and Jesus is your elder brother. And the Father will bless his son Jesus and will bless you, his sons and daughters. Jesus is our elder brother. He's our elder brother. But we also, by being children of God, must what? Suffer as Christ suffered so that we can receive glory as Christ received glory. So these preachers who tell you that you can get to a place in your faith with God and in your walk with God where there's no more suffering and no more pain uh, in this world, if you can get your faith up to a certain level and read enough of the Bible and get spiritual enough, you won't ever be sick again. That sounds great. There's just one thing wrong with it. It ain't true. It's not true. Your body is going to deteriorate in this world. You're going to have sickness in your body in this world. People of faith, Paul himself, uh, the scripture teaches that he had to write with a big letter during the last days of his life because his eyesight was going. Y'all with me? So, so you're going to have stuff that's going to happen in your body. Your, your flesh spiritually is going to war against you. But I'm telling you, if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you are God's child, and what he wants you to do is walk in the Spirit every day, and that means to walk out the implications of what it means to be a child of God every single day. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't know if you got all this today or not, but you know what I'd do if I were you? I would ask Pastor Farrell for his sermon notes, and I'd go back and turn my computer on, and I'd walk back through this sermon again because I'm going to tell you something. I tell me this too. If I get this right here, I'm going to be the more victorious Christian than I've ever been in my life before. Because when you understand what's available to you, and when you understand that God doesn't demand perfection in this life, but God will pick you up when you stumble, he'll pick you up when you fall, he'll put you back on track. When you understand that, that, that God loves us, God says don't sin, but if you do, don't sin, but if you do, there's an advocate with the Father. When you get hold of that truth, when you get hold of the stuff I've been preaching here today, some of you are going to be set free from some bad teaching you've been receiving all these years that's kept you beat down, bogged down, and burdened down. God wants you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. And I want you to be free. And this truth, not my preaching, but the truth of God's Word will set you free. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for every person who's here. Thank you, Father, for those who are going to come to the altar this morning. Let us pray for them, minister to them. We dedicate this day to your glory and your honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said,